Thanks for joining and welcome to the Day in the Life of Producers panel. Today we are featuring four wonderful producers for the gaming industry. We invite them to share their experiences, such as their world into the industry and what production looks like at their studio. During the panel, feel free to use the event ch chat channel, event chat channel. <laughs> to post your thoughts and perspectives. And if we have time left at the end of the panel, we'll take the audience questions posted there. Okay, so this panel will be recorded and posted on the Game Production Podcast. And yeah, that's all for introductions. I'm going to start now with my own introduction, introducing myself. So hello, hello everyone. My name is Amanda Duarte. I'm a project manager at Achimo Games, a game studio here in Canada. I'm also a co-organizer at Women Game Jam Brazil, and I love volunteering for gaming events such as panels, game jams, conference, expositions, etc. Therefore, I'm very happy to participate in this panel at GPC with these three amazing producers who I warmly welcome at the stage now to introduce themselves. So, I'm going to pick one. <laughs> Go Esmeralda. Yeah, sure thing. So hi everyone. I'm Esmeralda Hoffman, but you can call me S. I'm currently working as Princess of Rain Games and I'm working on a very exciting but unannounced project. Yay. And I've been in the industry for almost eight to nine years. And I actually had to count today so how many years I'm in the industry, but it's been a while. I started out as an intern. I volunteered for game events and eventually ended up at indie studios, publishers, and AAA studios. So I work at studios such as 2K Games, Tedesco, and Guerrilla Games. And that's me, really. Nice. Go, Heather. Hey, everybody. Um, my name is Heather Chandler, and I have been working in the games industry as a producer for about uh, over 25 years. Um, I started my career at Activision and uh, worked my way up from production assistant to senior producer. And I've worked on all kinds of games, small and large, mobile, console, PC, VR. Um, I worked on Fortnite as the senior producer for about three and a half years. I currently work as a um, freelance producer and game development consultant. I'm working right now on a game called Beyond Blue that is about our oceans. And, you know, that's, that's kind of me. JC, are you with us? Hi, hello, yes. Um, <laughs> Hi. Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. JC Lau. I am a producer at Hairbrain Schemes, and I'm currently working on an unannounced project. I started at Xbox in localization and became a coordinator there, and that was my start into production. Um, I then went to Bungie and worked on Destiny 2 and its DLCs, and was a scrum master there, I and then I moved into production at Hairbrained and worked on Battletech and its ELCs. Um, I also serve on the board of directors for Global Game Jam and the Seattle chapter of the IGDA, and that's pretty much it. I don't actually look like Trogdor the Burninator, which is my <laughs> avatar. So yeah. <laughs> and... Okay, so everyone now introduced. I'm going to start with the first topic that is your your road into the industry anyone wants to start or should i pick someone okay i'm gonna pick someone jc you were talking can you tell us how did you got into the game industry as a producer sure um so i was one of those kids who really, really, really love video games. And my mom actually bought our first computer when I was three years old. Like we had an Apple IIe, so you can kind of see that I'm old by that. Um, but I had no idea how to get into games, that like games were just this thing. And um, I actually ended up going to university and doing a combined arts law degree in, so in, I'm Australian and there is, and you can do law as an undergrad there. So I actually did an arts law degree with majors in history, philosophy, and political science. I got admitted to practice as a family lawyer and did that for a few years. I went back to school for a PhD and got 
a doctorate in political philosophy and became a college professor. And all this time I wanted to do like make games and I just didn't know how like game schools weren't really a thing at the time, but like I would use games in my work as an academic and as a lawyer. And then eventually I just decided to do the games part. So I can talk more about making that transition if people are interested, but it was very much just like, like assessing what my skill set was and just being brave and making that jump. And so I, like I said before, I went to Xbox first and that was actually really interesting because that had nothing to do with any of my qualifications. That was very much translating from American English into Australian and New Zealand English. And that was my job. So it gave me a foot into the industry. And then from there, I could kind of flex more on like what I was good at and what my skills were. And that was how I got into production. So I went from doing that to learning scripting and then going to Bungie and becoming a test engineer. And then I became a scrum master there. And then I can use the scrum master skills to become an associate producer at Hairbrained. And then I just worked my way up from there. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome. <laughs> um, I'm, since I'm also a panelist among these other three amazing women, I'm going to also give my point in this uh, compared to JC. I'm not like, I'm super new. I'm like a baby in this industry. I just started to work for Timo Games this year in January. However, I had the idea that I wanted to work with production since I started to study games because uh, I started to, uh, I went to university to study game design right after high school because it's what I decided to do like at the, at my senior year in high school. It was very, very something that I found that I would really love to do. And then since the first project that I took over, uh, I realized that I really like managing people in projects in making games. And that's what I decided to do. It was a really nice path. I'm from Brazil and I got into a college here in Canada in 2018. And I recently graduated and now I'm working as a project manager. That is the area that I like in a very nice studio here in Canada. and. That's that's for me. I'm very recent in the in this industry, learning a lot, and I can say that it's a it's not an easy role to have to work on, but it's it's something that if you like organizing stuff, projects, people, it's it's dairy for you. Now Esmeralda, do you want to give your inputs? Tell us yes. your story. <laughs> yeah, sure thing. So actually, before I started out in the industry, I had several jobs. I worked at an art gallery for a couple of years as an art educator, but also did a lot of production over there. I did artist management at um, several um, stages in Rotterdam, where I'm based. And eventually, I just decided that I want to move away from music and art, and I want to focus on games because um, I actually found out that what if I move like the production work to maybe the games industry? Is there a place for me? So that's when you know the ball started rolling, and that's when I um, applied for an internship at an indie studio in Rotterdam, and that's when I started out as an online marketing and communications intern, and eventually I was just very intrigued by their producer's work, and she was really like of person and the way she's organized and she did all the planning for the team and you know all the risk assessment that she was you know able to do that just really intrigued me and from that point I kind of looked over her shoulder and just watched how she did her work and from that moment I think I decided like yeah I think this is the right path for me that's what I want to do so eventually I decided to focus my minor and majors on arts and business of gaming, project management, communications, and experience marketing. And fast forwarding to a couple of years later, I graduated and landed my first job at an indie publisher as a junior producer. And then I went to product management role at K Games. And I'm here as a producer for Silver Rain Games. So that's kind of my road map. 
Oh, that's an awesome story. Uh, now, Heather, tell us about your 24-year career. It is super awesome. All right. Well, um, when I was younger, I enjoyed playing video games, but I never thought it was something that I could have a career in because I never really knew that you could actually go and, and do this for a job. Um, I ended up going to school and I got a degree in film and I moved to Los Angeles to work in the film industry. And while I was out there kind of trying to slub my way up, uh, you know, the film production ladder, I got hired at Activision as a production assistant. And when I got to the game studio, because at the time they had a huge internal studio and they had 300 developers, which that wasn't just one team. That was back then when that made up like 10 different development teams. Um, because this would have in 1995 or 1996. Um, I realized that actually games was really more fitting to my passion of what I wanted to do because I was really interested in working on a team where we made entertainment and something creative and fun for people to enjoy. And because games marry kind of technology with entertainment, there's a lot of neat technical challenges and things that you need to solve. And it's really fun working with people who want to do that because gamers are very passionate they're very smart, and it was just, um, I think, a much better fit for me. So I started out as a production assistant, and I found some great mentors there um, who kind of helped me along the way and said, okay, if you want to be a producer, you should go uh, read these books. You should learn about the game industry. You should um, play games, of course. And I was able to talk to artist designers, engineers, uh, firsthand, one-on-one, -on -one, to ask them about all of the about their jobs and what they did. And uh, hang on one second. There's a, I'm getting a lot of notifications right now. And really kind of understand um, in my role as the producer how I can best help people like that um, you know, do their best work. So I spent time at Activision and then ended up going um, to work at EA and Ubisoft. I worked on the Ghost Recon franchise. And then I wrote a book about game production because I thought if I had had a book about how to be a producer when I first started out, it would have been super helpful. So I spent some time doing that. Um, I became a freelance producer for a couple of years, and then I ended up taking all of my skills and knowledge, and I ended up working on Fortnite as a senior producer for about three and a half years. And that was a wonderful, wonderful experience, um, but also... I really missed kind of working with smaller teams and uh, more directly with people. So I became a freelancer again, and now I work with smaller indie teams. And the thing I love about production is that it's really, um, from my perspective, a people role. You're really helping people figure out how to do their best work. And so there's always fun and unique challenges with that. So nice stories. And we kind of did a two-in-one because our next topic is why is production the right path for you? So kind of we covered that, but if you want to go, we want to go again and explain a little more, I can start saying that production was, is the right path for me because like what Heather said, uh, we work managing people and trying to make their lives easier, uh, enjoyable while working don't have stress, don't have crunch. That is a thing nowadays. So I think it, it is uh, something that I really like, talking to everyone, uh, solving problems, organizing things, organizing people, and making and helping them to make nice experience for players when playing the games that the team is making. Uh, do you want to, to share your inputs, JC? Um, sure. I guess for me, I figured that production was the right path for me in two different ways. So firstly, I have no design or programming or art skills. So unless I wanted to like go back to school for another couple of years, which I really didn't, then I, I kind of ruled those out. But also, given the skills that I had acquired by the time I got into games, production made the most sense for me in terms of aligning what I was interested in and what my skills were. So um, I had a bunch of teaching and organizational skills from just like my academic career. And those translated really well into 
like how we communicate with different stakeholders who might have different forms of how they communicate with each other. Um, in terms of my skills from my legal practice, it was very much just like learning to advocate for your team is very similar to learning to advocate for a client. And so I found that a lot of my skills to be really transferable. And so that just made production a really kind of easy choice for me, fortunately. And yeah, I haven't looked back since. Oh, that's very nice. What about you, Esmeralda? Yeah, so previously I worked at art galleries and um, as an artist, manager, their music, etc. And I don't know, games were always like super feeling to me. I played a lot of games throughout my life. Um, I think I was four when I played Doom, which is kind of disturbing, but that's where it really started. And I just want to, you know, contribute to that. I just want to be a part of that industry, but I never really had the idea that it would be, I don't know, the right thing for me if I would fit in and if I could actually add something to that. And, you know, along the way, I really found my way in production. I just like helping people. I just like problem solving a lot. Sometimes it just gets problematic with problem solving, but that's just what I'm really focused on. I really like to take away people's, you know, worries and issues and that we can have an open discussion about those things and, you know, to give people reassurance, like, you know, this thing that you're worrying about, it's going to be fine. It's going to be all okay. That's, that's really like my main goal and that's what I really believe in. So yeah, that's why production is the right path for me. Uh Thanks for sharing this. And I think this part of uh, is, uh, am I going to fit in this industry <laughs> is a constantly uh, worry when you start a new career or even like in games because production uh, requires you to have a lot of expertise on many things. Like you, it's not because you're managing a team that you don't need to know a bit of programming, a bit of art skills. And to be, be, even be able to talk with your team. So it's so many like details that you need to acquire and work with. So it's it's always a concern. But it's very nice to see that all of us are in the our in our it are in our natural habitat. It's very nice. And okay, so going for the third topic. What does production look like at your studio? Like responsibilities, team size, etc. Who wants to start or should I pick someone? I'm going to pick Esmeralda then. <laughs> sure thing. So at Silverine Games, I think we have about um, 32 people, maybe even more right now. So that's quite a lot of growth over a year. And I'm currently the main producer on our project and I work alongside our head of studio, our development leads, our development teams, of course, and our audio and QA producer. And I'm basically responsible for maintaining schedule milestones, process, um, implementing production pipelines, sprints, retrospectives, with support of our audio and QA producers, of course, and anything else where I can help. With our studio, it's kind of a funny situation because, you know, the studio just started. It's here for a year and we're just implementing all those production pipelines at the very beginning, seeing if those things work for us or not. And we're also a remote studio. So, you know, it has a lot of uh, different elements that we're currently working on. And that's mostly my responsibility alongside um, our head of studios. So that's kind of it for Silverine. Mm -hmm. And who should I pick? Can I JC again? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so for Hairbrain Schemes, um, production is actually a relatively new discipline in at least its current iteration. So I joined the studio about three years ago. And when I started in my interview, with the hiring manager who was the executive producer at the studio, I had asked him, like, tell me about the production org at 
HBS. And his response was, I am the production org. So at the time, there were about 40 people in the studio and I came on as an associate producer. And part of my job was building production for the studio as well and just building out what the org looks like and what the culture looks like. And right now we have about 70 to 80 people and there are seven producers across two different projects, a team that's like our, like, we call it core tech. It's like our tools and engine team. And we also have operations, but they don't have a producer. And I'm on of the two projects. I'm on the bigger one. And there are four producers there, including me. And what we did was we actually broke up our um, production by discipline and also by feature set. So I produce engineering, UI, UX, narrative and localization. And um, part of this was because I had some technical production experience so it made sense for me to produce engineering. But at the same time, we also have specific feature sets that we own. So obviously I'm in D8 and can't really talk about what those are, but it gives us a nice intersection between pe people who have production knowledge at the discipline level and how like different disciplines like artists or designers or engineers do their craft and being able to support them that way and then being able to translate that into what does this mean when you put it into a game and that's where the feature set stuff comes in so for me a lot of my work has been building out a lot of like tech pipelines and in i was the person that actually introduced like scrum and agile um, methodologies to the studio and we've kind of run with that since so uh, I do I do a lot of just in addition to the project work there's a lot of just how do we learn production skills how do we make sure people are using Jira properly and not just making random weird tasks that don't you know do anything like there's a lot of that so that also means there's a lot of Jira cleanup um, but it's a lot of just making sure that everyone is supported and they know who that there is a person that can ask for help if they need it. And so I kind of see production as being that kind of, I don't know, this is like, like the worst D&D &D reference, but it's like, you're kind of like a bard and a cleric and a fighter at the same time. So you have to be able to support your team and help them and give them what they need. And also be able to go and advocate for them and negotiate with other producers and other teams for people's time. And like, you know, when we talk about budget with our publisher, we, we have to be able to like plan that and scope that out and make arguments for why we think this is the right budget and the right timeline. So it's this kind of cool role where you get to do all these things. I give you a lot of satisfaction if you like helping people and, you know, doing Tetris and that sort of like with schedules and that sort of stuff. But it also gives you a way to learn specific skills about specific disciplines. And I'm going to stop talking now. So yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I like the reference. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, I'm a giant nerd, so I will talk about D&D &D all day, but that is a different conversation to have. <laughs> it's okay. I think most of us got the reference related to D&D. &D. And what about you, Heather? Um, I've worked at lots of different studios and I can say that in the nitty gritty production looks very different depending on which studio you have you're at but the core problems and things that you're dealing with really are kind of the same across all of them like the things JC was mentioning making sure that people understand what the work is that they're doing making sure you've got some sort of process set up for you know tasks and follow-up that your budgets are in place and i think for me what i have figured out is whenever i go to a, a new studio that i haven't worked with before i like to spend some time just kind of seeing how they approach production and if they have no production process in place that's actually super easy um, i have had a lot of good luck making great impressions uh, first-time impressions on teams that don't really have a lot of production just by going to a meeting and merely taking notes and then setting action items and following up on them. This blows people's minds. So really, I think they look to the producer, or at least in my experience, I spend a lot of time just making sure that things aren't falling through the cracks, that people are getting the information they needed. So if an artist mentioned, hey, small thing, but you know, my mouse is messed up. I've been asking IT for one for months now and I haven't gotten one. Well, if I can go and get a mouse for them that day, because I go to Best Buy and buy it and then expense it back, that that helps make their job better. So I think 
when I think about day to day, it's really kind of solving problems on the larger scale. When you're talking about like, how do you actually, what does production look like? How do you organize teams? You know, certainly on a project like Fortnite, um, things were organized, you know, very similar to what um, JC and Esmeralda were saying, where you had sort of areas of the game that people focused on creating content for, creating features for, and a producer would be responsible for that. And so when you have a large team, you need to have, you know, multiple producers. And so in my day to day, um, you know, as a senior producer, I was then managing that production team and making sure that they had the things they needed to, you know, make their teams happy. When I work at smaller studios, um, and for those of you who work at smaller studios, you know that everybody wears different hats. And so I might be doing a little bit of marketing. Um, I'm super involved in the submission process for Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo. Um, so it's really doing whatever is needed to be done that is not um, directly making games. Um, a lot of times when I talk to particularly middle school kids about what I do as a producer, sometimes they seem disappointed that I don't actually make the art or create the game design or that I didn't do the programming. But then when I explain, you know, that my job, even though I'm not contributing directly to the game, the things that I do helps make the game get launched and released so that it's something that they can play. And so I think when you talk about production as a day-to-day, -day, it's really kind of like this whole big stew of lots of different things that are not art, design, or engineering. Yeah, I want to jump in on something Heather said, if I can, oh, real quick. Um, yeah. yeah, so one thing Heather said is like, you know, we're not contributing to the game directly. And part of that is because a lot of good production is the absence of like you can, it's the absence of blockers. It's the absence of like bugs in the game. It's like we're doing these things where we can't point to a thing in the game and say I made that. So yeah, it's it's really interesting to think about production in this way because you end up like you know when when some you know when you ship a game or you know on the magical day when you ship a game and people are just like okay well what did you do? There's nothing in the game you can actually show someone and be like yeah I did this, but you are the person that in some way facilitated the making of the game like you caused the game to come about in the form that it is so it's like this extra meta level of understanding like how production like how producers make games so yeah i just i just think that's a really interesting way of thinking about it because yeah like it, we're not artists and we're not programmers and we're not designers and we can't point to a thing in the game Oh yes, totally. What you, both of you said is 100% like uh, accurate, and we are not the the funny people, but we are the ones who make everyone's life easy and nice, so players can play games later. So yeah, that's, that's I'm learning a lot from you all. I don't know if the our our audience is also learning, but I'm learning a lot. Thanks for all your inputs. And going for the fourth topic now. And what are other management roles in your studio, like project management, that's yeah, project management, etc. And how these other uh, roles are divided, like in terms of of responsibilities. I'm gonna pick Heather again. I'm sorry. Um, I hate to ask, but can you repeat the question? Somebody was asking me a question <laughs> about no the same time. No worries. So the question was, what are other management related roles in your studio, like project management or other roles? And how are they, uh, uh, how are those responsibilities divided among all the roles? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I haven't, on all the places I've worked at, we have attempted to have kind of like a peer project manager role in some cases where they're really responsible for the tracking of the schedule and the budget and things like that. Um, although most of the time, what I found is that it's really the producers, at least in my experience, that have the brunt of all those different things that need to be done. Um, except for one studio I worked at where they had a project manager, which was awesome because they did all of the, the updates and whatnot and would write sort of the status report on the timeline and things like that. That's very nice. I think it's even 
uh, something uh, that some people, at least I was confused for some time, the difference between producers and project managers. Uh, sometimes it feels like there is a thin line between these two areas. But yeah, that's that's very nice to hear. What about you, Esmeralda? Um, so other management related roles, that would actually be our head of studio and I work close alongside her, like managing our schedule, the milestones, seeing what the team needs and getting our priorities straight. And actually our leads are doing most of the managing for their teams and I'm just helping out with anything that they need support with. So basically it comes down to um, myself, our producers, our leads and our head of studio. So that's kind of the structure we're in so for Rain at the moment. Oh, such fancy roles. And JC? Um, yeah, so Hairbrain Schemes doesn't really have other project management roles. I don't know if that's also just an issue of size. Like we were like at our size, we're not really big enough to have a distinction between a producer and a project manager. But I think for all the producers that we do have, like, you know, there's like we end up doing both. Like we're managing the project but we're also, you know, doing the day-to-day -day production work. But the proportion of each that you do will be different depending on what you're doing on the project. So um, our lead producer, for example, actually does a lot more of the scoping and planning and budget stuff because, you know, she's the one that has to take it to our publisher and have those conversations. So she does a lot more of that stuff, whereas for, like, myself and the other producers were doing a lot more of the day-to-day -day, like how do we keep the team running how do we best support the individuals in doing their best work and that sort of stuff and you know those two things are interrelated obviously but it we end up doing like a little bit of each and then like our lead kind of gathers that all up and puts that into like and does a lot more of this pm type stuff with like at at the project, like very high level stuff that's not just the day to day. And we kind of mutually agreed that that was how it was going to work. So even though we don't have those specific titles, it just kind of fell out in that way. Mm -hmm. And it, it's like kind of what Heather mentioned before that if you, for example, if you work on a small studio, kind of everyone wears different hats and some people wear more than one hat. For example, my studio, we're a pretty small studio. And I'm the project manager officially, but my boss, that is the game designer, uh, the head design of everything, she is also kind of a producer and she is teaching me a lot along with uh, the producer uh, of the team that is not like full time working, but she he is also there helping her a lot. And we kind of split everything because I'm also junior, but I also want to learn more about budgeting that I feel that is more of a production role instead of just PM project management and, and yeah it's a bit of you need to know what is going on and different studios will have different approach approach for this okay so going for the fifth topic who do you primarily interact with day-to-day -day and for what reason Esmeralda can we have your say Sure thing. Um, so I interact with a lot of different people actually. Um, but if I look at our studio, I interact a lot with our head of studio, our producers, our leads, and basically we discuss um, any risks, um, milestones, tasks, anything that their teams need, any documentation that we need to create, and also um, how process is going, if we need to um, get some feedback on process. and just implement that and also talking directly to our team members and seeing how things are going with the milestones, if they need any support from my end, if we need to update our production pipelines and just implementing that feedback um, as soon as we can. And also interact with a publisher alongside our head of studio on milestones, objectives and anything else that we need at that moment. So it's kind of, interacting with studio, publisher, external partners. So that's basically me interacting with a lot of people. Oh, I can imagine. Um, related to me, 
since we have a small studio, I basically bother my boss every day. She is here in the call. I think she she knows that I always bother her <laughs> with things related to the project. And and my boss and the rest of the team checking if everyone is okay. And since everything is remote, the studio was remote before pandemic, it's too remote, so I can have everyone at Slack. So I can talk to everyone, check if everyone is okay, if everything is going smooth. And they can also have me if they have any problems or questions. And what about you, JC? Um, so my primary group that I interact with are my teams. And I know that sounds very, very obvious, but um, every day, well, almost every day we do a stand-up and we get to check in with each other. And especially in the last year with the pandemic and working from home, I feel like this has been a really important function just to make sure that we aren't just talking about what our tasks are and what, you know, how we're doing in terms of our work and moving little board, like cards across a board. But we also need to check in with each other just to see how we are functioning as humans. And so my interaction with them is not just, you know, do you need to move these cards across your board or what, like, you know, your Kanban board or whatever, but it's also just, you know, how can I help you do your work better? Like, you know, are you stressed out? You know, that sort of stuff. Um, so my main source of interaction are my teams. And then on top of that, it would be my own discipline. So the other producers on my project, we have a very, very active Slack channel. We spend a lot of time syncing with each other. So at least twice a week, we'll just sit down. And one of those meetings is a planning meeting. The other one is the brain dumping, like this is how stuff is going on my team. Has anyone come across this other, like this problem in a similar way? How did you solve it? That sort of like knowledge sharing sort of thing. Um, so that's called like producer homeroom. We kind of leave it very open for people just to ask questions if they need and get help. And other than that, um, for me, because I also produce localization and that's an external team, I spend some time working with our external, like, with our partners there and making sure that they're supported and they can do their work well and just, you know, facilitating how that works because part of our project is also like doing something that's very technical in terms of how we want to translate our strings. So just making sure they have the right documentation to understand what is going on and like, you know, if they have questions about what the translating that we can get them answers so they're not blocked and that sort of stuff. And finally, um, as the engineering producer on the team, I also interface a lot with our lead engineer and our lead producer on our core technologies team. So this is a team I mentioned before. Um, and we build a lot of stuff in Unity, but we roll a lot of our own tools. So a lot of my conversations with them are making sure that when new tools are coming in, that we have a schedule for when they're gonna be delivered, what that process is for uh, the project team ingesting those tools and how we implement them, what we do if we need more support, what we do if we find bugs, that sort of stuff, and just making sure that the teams are fed in that way. And then like less occasionally, every couple of weeks, we check in with our publishers just to make sure that, yes, your money's being spent well and we are still building the thing, so yeah. Very important to let everyone know. <laughs> about money. And what about you, Heather? So it kind of depends, I think, on what production role you have on the project. Um, when I was a publisher producer, I was really interfacing heavily with marketing and um, kind of localization and creative affairs and things like that. And then taking that information and going back to the team where I usually had another producer that I was interfacing with on a regular basis. So it's really kind of managing that relationship between publishing and the development team. And so you're talking with a lot of times people that don't spend a lot of time making games. So you have to explain, for example, marketing's like, hey, we wanna get this thing added to the game. Uh, can you get it in by tomorrow? And of course, most of the time the answer is no. Um, but then, you know, facilitating that understanding and relationship by talking to marketing, finding out more about what they need, and then going to the producer who is managing the development team 
and finding out, you know, well, what could they do, blah, 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 blah. When I have been a development producer, then, of course, as others have said, you're spending so much time with your team. Um, I have found that on the teams that I work with, there's usually kind of um, different different people each week who need more of my time than others, depending on sort of what challenges we're facing for the week. Um, I do spend, you know, on a, on kind of a daily weekly basis, you're always interfacing with your leads, your art design engineering leads, usually at least weekly meetings with them. And then sometimes daily check-ins um, depending on where you are in the project or if you have a key milestone coming up. Um, I spend a lot of time, you know, in a, in a senior role, talking with the executives about the game and providing updates and insights and kind of being the shield for the team so that you get all that information from them before people like the CEO is stopping by somebody's desk and saying, hey, that looks cool, but could you do this instead? So it's really about, um, you know, the interactions providing a good shield to make sure that the development team can continue working. Um, I've spent in other projects, I've spent a lot of time with the QA people. Like we have some really weird bug that we're trying to find. So it's talking with QA, talking with sort of the main developers that are working on whatever that feature is, trying to help them debug. So it's really kind of more, again, to my other answer, whatever is needed in any given time is who you're spending the time with. Um, I've had cases where we've had people kind of on performance plans. And so I spend more time with them to make sure that they understand where they need to, um, you know, basically improve and making sure that they are set up for success on that. And so I like to spend time um, making sure that that happens. So I think really like everyone else has discussed, because game development teams are people, it's about interfacing with the people who need you the most on any given day or week, um, and then making sure that you are capturing all the things that need to get done in order to help these people be successful, um, and then following through on the things that you need to do for them. Mm, I agree. Depending on the size of the project, you're dealing with different people, different teams, different necessities can be re very relative who you interact with every day. So going for the next topic, then now considering that we mentioned some tools here, what kind of tools do you use on your work, everyday work? Any tools you tried to use before, but it didn't work for you? Smeralda, do you wanna have a say on that? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so it depends what kind of tools. Um, of course, we have our communication tools. We have our project management tools. Like we have Slack, Zoom. We use Miro for our retrospectives, and um, of course, our lovely Jira. We use dashboards, print spreadsheets, and some of us love spreadsheets a little bit too much. Uh, with some of us, I mean me, and <laughs> our other producers. Whenever we meet up with our producers, there's always someone that's able to show. A spreadsheet and we're always way too happy to review those but actually i'm referring back to spreadsheets and documentation it's always good to review what's still needed and what's actually more like temporarily uh useful at a certain moment and what could actually be archived otherwise you'll just be updating certain documentation or spreadsheets or any tools that actually aren't really working for your team anymore at the moment and that's so be fine. I think it's more of a matter of, you know, letting go of certain tools that you're used to and getting to uh, get used to other tools and make, you know, room for that. And I think that our team is really good at, um, you know, mentioning what isn't really working anymore for them at the moment. And I think our production team is also really good at spotting that um, certain tools just aren't really working for our team. So we just try to... Um, get our feedback during retrospectives and see what we can upgrade for our teams. Mm. Yeah, totally. It's not nice to take with something that is not working. It's, you need to hear your team, see what they think about it. What about you, JC? I know that you use Slack, same as my team. Yeah, we use Slack, but um, yeah, in terms of our project management tools like right now we use Jira we use Trello we use Asana um, I've also worked in 
TFS, which is the Microsoft Visual Studio thing. Um, I've used Basecamp as well. And a lot of this, I think, is like, each, each of these have their own, like, you know, strengths and weaknesses. And it, for me, I think where, whether a tool works or doesn't work is very, very contingent on the team. So my general philosophy is you should only ever have enough tools and process to make the thing work for your team, but no more. Because I know the more complex you make your tools, the more like like the onboarding to understand how a tool works and how to use it properly makes it like real challenging for some people and then they just won't use it and and if that's the case then your tool is not doing what it's supposed to do it's not actually helping your team do their work so um for me like i mean right now we use jira and we and as a production org we spend a lot of time making sure that people understand how to use jira and use jira consistently even across our two project teams and our core tech team so in case anyone ever needs to move across teams and there's no like extra mental load they take on by having to learn a whole new set of tools, a whole new set of processes. Um, and we also make sure all of this is super well documented. So if anyone has questions about stuff, they can go find how to use, like how to do a particular thing in Jira or whatever. Um, I guess another thing I want to mention is also Confluence because like we use Jira and Confluence because they play kind of nice with each other. So yeah, that's been really useful just to link tasking to documentation. Like I know that really helps our design and engineering teams as well. So yeah, I guess that's all I have to say about tools. <laughs> Very nice. And yeah, I see that you too, JC and Esmeralda use Jira. Do you also use Jira on your team, Heather? Very famous too. Yeah, Jira seems to become have come the de facto, um, at least task tracking, bug tracking thing on the projects that I've worked on. Um, and I've heard good and bad things about it. I actually enjoy working with Jira because once you learn how to become a filter guru and learn some of the, you know, the languages you can do to improve your filters, it can be quite a powerful tool. But the problem is, is that it takes time to learn all this stuff. And then you have to be able to set um, things up for your team. I found that my team, I love tools, right? And so I'll use Trello, you know, Liquid Planner, Jira, and I'm always experimenting with different things. But at the end of the day, I found that you have to do what's going to work best with your team. Um, so with Jira as an example, I know that uh, they don't really have time to spend in Jira and they don't want to spend time in Jira. So I just set up dashboards for them. And then that way I know kind of what view they're seeing and how they're getting their tasks and whatnot. Um, and they find that this works well for them too, because we set up sort of a board and they can just slide their tasks or bugs across as they um, complete them. You know, on big and small projects, I have a lot of people ask me like, well, how do you actually manage the project? You know, what do you do? I mean, there's all these tools out there. There's smart sheets, there's Tom's planner, there's Monday, there's liquid planner, um, Trello. I mean, I have actually tried all of these at some point on a project and I hate to say it, but I always come back to good old fashioned Excel for many of my things because that is the easiest thing to just kind of sit down and start mapping out something and you can do your own color coding and you have more control over how you present the information. Um, so I find for me that Jira works really well when you set up sort of um, your spreadsheets with your different tables and things like that um, and it's pretty straightforward to use um, for communication of course slack has become super important i use discord on some of my other teams and back in the day you know um, aim messenger was one that we first started using um, and all of the google stuff um, you know the google calendar is huge like i i rely very heavily on my calendar as a producer we're in lots of meetings all the time so calendar really i think can help kind of make you super efficient if you're scheduling your meetings correctly and i could go on a whole uh different conversation about meetings and how to make those effective but yeah there's just so many different things out there i like to try different things to see what's going to work for the team but ultimately at the end of the day i'm going to default to what works best for them and also gives me at least the bare baseline of information that i need to present back to 
um, senior managers or other people that are interested in the status of the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the end, it all comes to adaptability. You need to know what the others like, so you need to adapt to their style. But it's nice. We're like we said before, our job is to help the team to be nice and okay to work and for everything to go smooth. So yeah, that's in very nice the the mentioning about the Excel sheet. I also feel that it's it's the bare bone, but it's also very good to control whatever you like. And going forward, what do you think uh, are the most valuable things you add that are intangible? JC, what do you think? Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. Um, I feel like one of the core skills for a producer is not how well can I do a thing in a spreadsheet? Like, I mean, we all love spreadsheets, but whether or not you can do a thing in a spreadsheet is not as important as being able to be empathetic and support people. And I think the main thing I bring to my teams is like, my job is to make sure that they are cared for and they can do their work in the best way possible. And a lot of that is sometimes I need to sit there and be someone's therapist in like, while they vent about a thing that's happening in their life or like in the US in the last year, you know, we've We've all been working from home because of the pandemic. We had basically a race war. We had a very, very anxious like election period. And helping my team navigate through all those things, I think, has done something for them that I feel like they might not have been able to do collectively if they were all doing it like, you know, without having a producer there. And some of that was making sure like they had their tasks and being like oh i see you're starting a lot of things but you're not finishing any and you know that was because people were anxious and they just wanted to feel productive so managing lower workloads was a thing that came up very early on in from home um taking tasks off their plate if they're not things that they really need to work on because they keep getting distracted with other things um that sort of stuff so a lot of it is just those little bits of human like I don't even know what to call it. It's like those human interactions, just making sure that they have space to be people at work. And I know that sounds really like weird and fuzzy, but I, I mean, it's intangible, right? So that's kind of what it is. But, but one of the things about this is this is like when we do these things and we notice this at Hairbrain as well, like when, when we were, went into work from home, like I was tracking out data on Jira in terms of like people's velocities. And I mean, it is no surprise that everyone's velocity kind of tanked. And so what we were doing was trying to find a good kind of line between having people be productive and, you know, keep working on the project, but also making sure they had time to take care for like, you know, of themselves and their families and their loved ones. And and a lot of like production stuff ends up being just how do we write that line? Where where is it? And you know, as people get used to working from home, for example, like can we up that a little bit? Can we make it so that you know instead of doing like an estimated six days of work, you can maybe do seven in a two week sprint or whatever it is, and just you know making sure people can function and be healthy and therefore productive, I think is a big thing. That's, that's very nice, very nice inputs. Uh, what about you? Now I forgot who I, I started to, <laughs> to ask. It was just JC, right? So what about you, Esmeralda? Well, I think that JC was super spot on on that because I think we've all been through like a super wild year and um, I started out at Silver Rain in December so there was still like a lot going on and I think that one of the most important things to mention to teams especially uh, during a pandemic during whatever is going on in the world is that whatever they're feeling their feelings are valid and that they should rest up take the time to just relax and if they need someone to listen to i'm there our head of studio is there everyone is there for each other 
And I think it's really important, especially if you're a producer or in any other management role to just um, voice that people should take care and that it's totally okay if they need more time for things and just um, create that open space for each other, that safe space where everyone can just mention what's going on and just give them the time to relax. We can look at Jira at a later time. There's more important stuff going on and we'll manage the project. I think that's one of the most important things within our studio. I totally agree. Sometimes they just need someone to talk to, just to listen and talk about problems. What about you, Heather? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with everyone that, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all human and letting them know that someone cares about them is by far one of the most important things that a pro producer provides. Um, simply just check. I mean, I had a programmer who routinely um, <coughs> would skip breakfast because he wanted to get to the office for the stand up on time. And I would always just bring him a protein bar and a thing of orange juice, you know, when the meeting started. And it's just, I mean, it was something so simple because I was down, you know, getting food anyway. So just doing small things like that um, so that people feel that they are valued and that, you know, they are important as, as a human. But I think other intangible things that a producer provides is really kind of a focus. So when you think about, you have a group of people that are making a game, they're very passionate, they're very excited by it. They have a ship date kind of set on the horizon. And I'm sure everybody knows that people get so excited that they sometimes get distracted and they're like, ooh, we should add that. Or wow, that looks really cool. Or this game did that. We should do a prototype to see if we can put it in our game. And I think one of the other important things that a producer does is really helps the team find that focus and says, okay, I see what you mean about that, that does look cool, but right now we have this goal that we're working towards, so let's stay focused on this goal and, you know, um, uh, coalesce around that and get all the work done for that, and then we can start looking at some of these other things. Um, when I worked on an especially large team, we had this huge milestone that was due around the holidays. And everybody wanted to make sure that we were well wrapped up with it before the Thanksgiving holiday occurred, which was in America. And, you know, everyone like wants to go home and eat turkey and stuff. And so we created a milestone that we called it the stuffed turkey. And, you know, everybody knew what stuffed turkey was. We knew the, the very specific priority one things that had to be in it. And we scheduled it so that we got all that priority one stuff in. And then we're able to... Um, get it tested and whatnot so that we get to get people out um, well in time for the Thanksgiving holiday. And so I think the producer is invaluable in that because the team really does look to the producer to kind of put the brakes on stuff because the team's job is to come up with cool things to do and to make the game better. And so you want them to do that and you want them to have the freedom to do that. And then if you're coming in and you're, you're a good producer, you're going to be able to kind of guide that enthusiasm and that thinking for making the the game better in a way that is still very focused and allows them to complete milestones. Yeah, we sometimes are, are known as the, the boring people because everyone wants to add cool stuff and we go like, nope, that's it. Stop right there. Let's focus on what we have to do. But it's it's a very valuable thing that some people don't recognize at first, but after when you have the game shipped on close to the right day that you planned, everyone is like, oh my gosh, that's so nice that we finished. Thank you for not letting me do all of this thousand things that I wanted to implement. And we are almost coming to a finish. So almost less topic. Do you have a Scrum certification and do you feel that it's necessary? Scrum or even... Uh, project manager certificate that is also something uh, some people go after. Heather, do you have any certification? Um, I don't have the PMI certification. I did get a scrum certification a long time ago. I found just kind of top line, like when looking for jobs, those certifications aren't required, but they certainly are nice to have. Just the mere fact of going through the classes and understanding how all these different aspects of project management work and how scrum works is super invaluable. And that is, of course, the most important thing you get when you get these certifications. Nice, nice. What about you, Esmeralda? I personally don't own one at the moment, but I'm working towards one. 
and I think it will just um, add a little bit at what I'm currently doing and I just so I have to see what it's going to add more to my current job at Silverwing. I'm also looking for getting a PM certificate and maybe a, even a Scrum Master. It feels nice to have something uh, teach to you. And you, you even have, can show people because you have a certificate. So like, oh, I know this stuff. And what about you, JT? Um, so I have a Scrum certification. I think it's lapsed now because I didn't like I didn't retest for it for whatever. But um, I also did some project management courses at like UC Irvine, like through like Coursera or whatever, and. I feel like for production, because certifications are relatively new, especially for like Scrum and Agile being like the way that we do production. Um, I think it's good for having certification if you're trying to get your foot in the door because it does set you apart from other applicants. But I feel like it's less important if you're already a producer because it you've already demonstrated you have the skills for that. Um, but one thing to note also is different studios will scrum differently. So the way that people understand agile and scrum and just like, you know, how to apply those things are very different in different places I've worked at. So what the certification gives you is kind of like the foundational understanding of what those principles and rituals are, but then you will still have this extra step of learning just like the specifics of how it's like executed at a studio. So the certification certainly isn't the be all in it all, but it might help. Mm. Nice advice. So in the end, kind of, if you don't have a bunch of experience, it's nice to have a certification. But if you already know a bunch, you worked a lot, many different studios, kind of like you already uh, can prove that you know how to work. And for the final topic, uh, any final tip or a bit of advice for working with productions better? Producers better. Sorry. Okay, I, I forgot I'll, to pick one. Go no, on. Well, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, I think in my career, when I, I first started my career, I think there was definitely a misunderstanding about what producers do. And generally, they were thought of as the people that went and got your food for you. This is, of course, 25 years ago when you were crunching and you went out and got dinner or you did some other sort of mundane tasks because they weren't really sure what you were doing. Um, I think that definitely has changed a lot as people understand that production is a discipline, just like art design or engineering. And I would think for developers who want to have a better relationship with production or to work better with them, it's just to understand that. The producer has a set of skills that they're bringing to the game, just like any of these other disciplines, and you need to be respectful of what they bring and express interest in it. I know that when I started my career in the games industry, I spent a lot of time talking to artists, designers, and engineers about their jobs and their skills and what they did, and I learned so much from them that I was able to fold into sort of my production methodology that really helped um, I think, enhance their experience on the team. And so a good relationship is kind of a two-way street there for them to acknowledge and respect. Yeah, even though I don't like giving you estimates, I can understand what you're trying to do by asking me for an estimate, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. And a part of getting dinner, I think, for people who work on Game Champs, producers are still the people who go like, oh, drink water, eat food because game champs are tough. Short time to produce games. What about you, JC? Um, yeah, I agree with Heather on that. Um, in terms of talk, like, you know, talking to people from other disciplines. Um, one thing about production is unless you're having a meeting about how to do stuff on spreadsheets or how to like, you know, empathetically manage a team or anything like that, you are, like chances are you are not gonna be the expert on whatever the subject matter is. And so, having a degree of humility about what your team is working on, I think is a really important thing to bring to the room as a producer. So don't be afraid to ask for help from like your engineers and your designers and your artists and your testers and because they're the experts and you're there to like help, like you're there to help them. But in order for you to do that, like you have to have the right information to help to be able to make the right decisions with them. So it's okay if you don't know, for example, what an API is, because that's what happened to me. And I had to go Google that so I could talk to my engineers. Um, 
so don't be afraid to ask for help is the big thing. Like you're all on a team, you're all there to work together. And in order for you to do your job, it's okay to not be the expert and let the experts inform and guide you. Um, on the flip side of that also, because producers are good at helping people, like don't be afraid to ask for help from other producers. Um, we, we sometimes have a tendency to want to solve all the problems ourselves because we're good problem solvers, but you have teams and there's, and like this network is also a great place to ask for help. So just make sure you have, like you use those spaces and you make sure, and you have connections to people that you can ask for advice because no one has to do this alone. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, totally agree. We don't have to be alone in this. And you, Smarada, any advice? Um, I would say in regards to communication, everyone communicates differently and especially when it comes down to deaf teams. So it's always good to see what kind of communication people are looking for, what people need. And usually it's not about what you communicate, but how you communicate and when and where. And that's kind of feeling that you'll develop over time and that's going to develop into the skill. So it takes time, but give it the time to get there. That's really important. And in regards to um, saying no to things, it's always good to explain. And it's always good for devs to just ask the producer why things aren't going to make it to the game and just have an open discussion about it. So people will understand why stop making certain projects. Oh, so such nice inputs. Thank you all for sharing advice with everyone here. And that's it for today's panel. We are finished with topics and we would like to thank our lovely panelists, supporters, and of course, everyone who joined us today. Thanks also Juni that is in the backstage and did a lot. Thanks Juni. <laughs> and if you have any feedback on this event, please let us know. And we will be posting the recording on the game production podcast in the coming weeks. Our supporters are working on several future panels, so please stay tuned to the announcements for further updates. And that's it. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining today. Have a great rest of Friday and enjoy your weekend. Bye-bye. Oh, by the way, I said bye-bye, but if Esmeralda, Heather, or JC want to say bye, any closing uh, things, you can also say, and you can, and that's it, you can, we can wrap up. I was like, thanks everyone for coming. I, I'm going to drop my LinkedIn and my Twitter just in this chat if people have any questions after the fact. So yeah, my DMs are open. Feel free to ask me anything about whatever I said here. Thank you. Hedrian or Esmeralda, do you have anything to say? Yeah, sure thing. So I'm also going to drop uh, my Twitter link and my LinkedIn link. Please feel free to reach out to me for any questions. Always happy to help. Thank you. Oh, yes. Thank you for having me. And I'll put my, I don't use Twitter that much, but I do have an account. So I'll put that in there as well. But thank you for having me. This was great talking with y'all. Thank you all. So that's it. Now take care and enjoy your weekend. Bye-bye.